This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Welcome to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Hi, I'm Jamie Buss, and I'm a former commercial litigator who used to weigh 242 pounds. When I was 38 years old, I lost over 50 pounds through a regimen of exercise and better nutrition. It took me a year to reach my goal, but I thought if a type A personality like me could do it, really anybody can. I'm still asking questions and learning about what it means to live a healthy lifestyle. Please join me on this continuing journey. Today, we'll discuss supporting respiratory health naturally with nutraceutical expert, Dr. Gordon Chang. We'll learn about red light therapy with health researcher David Nelson, MD. We'll find out about shaving tips for men with natural beauty expert, The Mystery. And lastly, we'll talk about achieving your fitness goals in the new year with Dr. Stacey Irvine, DC. Before we get to that, here's your tonic quick shot of healthy headlines. Having trouble falling asleep? A study from the University of Washington measuring the sleep patterns of students found that students fell asleep later in the evening and woke up later in the morning during winter. Students also received less natural daylight exposure during winter, when daylight hours on the campus are limited and the skies are notoriously overcast. The researchers believe this lack of daytime light exposure triggered the delayed winter bedtimes by pushing back or delaying their natural circadian cycle. Getting outside in the morning, even on cloudy days, is the best way to prevent this circadian delay. Lying to another person to get the better of them in a financial negotiation might win you more money, but you're likely to end up feeling guilty and less satisfied with the deal than had you been honest, according to research published by the American Psychological Association. In the study, 74% of people in the mock financial negotiation between sellers and buyers who had the opportunity to lie to their partners chose to do so supporting a deceiver's guilt hypothesis. Those who chose to lie felt less satisfied with the negotiation, felt more guilt, and felt less satisfied in general than sellers in the control group who did not have the chance to lie. Further, sellers who could have lied but chose to be honest were more satisfied than sellers in the control condition of the test. Research from Virginia Tech has revealed how a pathway in the brain that typically provides signals to stop eating may be altered by early life trauma. Nearly 3% of Americans suffer from binge eating disorder at some point in their lifetimes, and of them, more than 8 in 10 survive childhood abuse, neglect, or other trauma. The team found that in mice that experienced early life stress and exhibited behavior similar to binge eating, Leptin is less effective in a part of the brain called the lateral hypothymus, where many behaviors are regulated. Without these signals from the brain, the overeating continues. That was your tonic quick shot. I'll be joined by Dr. Gordon Chang in a moment. But first, a little bit of business. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. 
Omega Alpha's products are created by their scientific team headed by their owner, operator, and CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Dr. Chang holds a PhD in physiology and biomedical engineering from the University of Toronto. He also has two years postdoctoral experience in clinical biochemistry, looking at free radicals and antioxidants. He's published over 20 peer-reviewed articles and conference proceedings, and he's a regular on the show. Welcome back, Gordon. How are you? Very good, Jamie. Thanks for having me on board again. Always a pleasure. Today, we're going to talk about something that we actually haven't talked about in ages, and that is respiratory health. So healthcare people speak of supporting the immune health through eating more green foods and fresh fruits. And for antioxidants, of course, everything natural. And then there's supplement folks suggesting vitamin C and zinc and echinacea. But the immune system and respiratory system, is it similar when it comes to herbal and supplement usage? Yes and no. It sounds like I'm sitting on a fence most of the time when people ask me these questions. But, you know, people like yes or no. Black or white. True. It is all shades of gray. I always say that to everybody, and everybody gets frustrated when I say that because I'm not giving them a definitive answer. And that's a lawyer's answer. <laughs> I can tell you, right? Like people hate lawyers because like you can't get a yes or no out of them. It's always a maybe. <laughs> yeah. Any scientist worth his salt will probably always hedge that way because yeah. what's true today is definitely not true tomorrow. Or shades of gray is like when people talk about Newton versus um, Einstein. Einstein, right? yeah. quantum mechanics versus Newtonian world. The physics that works in the Newtonian world is definitely very different from the physics of the quantum world. But anyway, we, we stray. Now, <laughs> getting back to respiratory health. Respiratory health, I mean, there are many different things that affect respiratory health. And respiratory health means different things to different people, right? For some people, if you're asthmatic, respiratory health focuses around the asthma. So for some people who have seasonal allergies, respiratory health focuses around that time of the year when they have allergies. Mm -hmm. The cause and effects are very different, right? right? For example, if you have an asthma, there's something going on in your respiratory system that reacts with something in the air, and your body overcompensates and it tightens down on the bronchioles, Okay, mm -hmm. and so it restricts air movement in and out of the lungs. So there's a short people feel they don't have enough oxygen, they, they have difficulty breathing, etc. And that's very frightening, right? Mm -hmm. There are modern medications that work really great for these type of things. But like anything else, modern medications have side effects. But my philosophy has always been it depends on how bad off you are. Right. If I am one of those people that if I get an asthma attack, they have to ship me to the hospital and pump oxygen into me, give me the drugs. Yep. If I'm one of those people that, you know, I, I know I'm asthmatic, but my triggers are like cigarette smoke, stay out of places with cigarette smoke, and I can probably live without most of the medications. Okay? Right. Mm -hmm. Just depends on how bad you are. Yeah, my approach is always, you know, if you can avoid the medications, if being right. the, the key word in that sentence, that's where I tend to go. But I'm not afraid to use drugs. I mean, that's what they're being developed for, you know? Yeah, and I always tell people drugs are good. Anyway, but <laughs> yeah. people always have a good laugh when I say that. Yeah. Right? Well, um, it, has, it has a layered meaning. Let's put that's it that way. right. You know? <laughs> but getting back to some of these, there are many prevention type things that you can do. Okay. See? Like, for example... I tell people, you can do something like a cleanse to clean out your respiratory tract, right? But I always go back to it. When people talk about cleanse, I don't mean we're going in there with a scrubbing brush and soap and water to clean it out. Right. No. Right. The body has its own way of cleaning out the system, and all we're trying to do is enhance that clean-out effect. 
So some of the things we probably would do is to give them compounds which will help break, which will help decrease some of the toxins that you breathe in that are stored in the lungs. And there are herbs which will help do that. All right, there are herbs which will actually open up the bronchioles, and there are herbs which will actually open up the blood vessels. Hmm. And what these herbs will do, if they open up the blood vessel, it'll help increase the blood flow through the lung. And if it increases the blood flow through the lung and through the, the bronchioles, etc., it'll help clear some of these, these compounds. And if you help clear some of these compounds, right, they trigger to cause some of these asthma effects or even some of build, mucus buildup is also less. So you need a bigger amount of trigger compounds to cause an asthma effect to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and then there are things like exercise. Right, exercise is one of the best ways of helping it. But again, after having said that, this is where I usually hedge because I do know there are people who have exercise-induced asthma, for example. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So people will say, "But I have exercise-induced asthma, and you just told me to go exercise." You know, every situation is different. So this is why, when I sit on my hands and say things, I have to try and clarified a wee bit. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, but that's common sense, right? Like if you know that, you know, exertion triggers your asthma, then you shouldn't exercise, right? Like you, or no, you should be very careful, it, you know. See, I disagree with that a hundred percent. You should exercise. You just don't exercise to the level of which you induce an asthma attack. Fair enough. Right. Yep. But and again, this is where people like to hear yes or no. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I say, no, it's a shade of gray. Right, mm-hmm. and this is where I, I firmly stand on a shade of grey. Right now, there are a lot of things you can help. There are a lot of supplements that people can use to help. So you know, the, the antioxidants is one of those classic examples. And you know, antioxidants because most asthma, most respiratory issues, there is a huge inflammatory component. Right, and every single antioxidant is an anti-inflammatory. Okay. But not every anti-inflammatory is an antioxidant because the mechanisms of, of how they work is a little bit different. But again, every single antioxidant is an anti-inflammatory. So what that means, take supplements that are high, that are high in antioxidants. So things like a vitamin C is an antioxidant, right? Mm-hmm. But what I want to clarify is that vitamin C is not the only antioxidant. Right. All right? And certain oxidants will be quenched by vitamin C but certain oxidants will not be quenched by vitamin C. So this is why I always advocate, take a wide variety. Now, I always advocate for taking from food sources. The problem with food sources, though, is that you don't get enough. Right. Especially if you want to use it for a medicinal purpose. So if I am healthy and I'm running around, yeah, I probably will get enough vitamin C, etc., from an orange. And if I can't remember exactly how much vitamin C is in orange, but let's say for the sake of argument, it's 30 milligrams in orange. And that seems kind of high to me. Right. right? Mm-hmm. You will never eat enough oranges to get enough vitamin C into your system. So this is why it's, it's a good idea to take a vitamin C supplement. So it's the same idea with any antioxidants, things like lycopenes, right? Mm -hmm. Citrus bioflavonoids, you can get those as a supplement. And a wide variety because a wide variety of antioxidants help against a wide variety of free radicals. So are there any antioxidants that would be specifically good for respiratory issues? I know you're advocating a broad array. No, no. there is nothing specifically just targeting the respiratory tract. Okay. Because one of the, the reason I, I advocate a wide variety is because what 
triggers a lot of responses in the respiratory tract is there's a whole whack of different antioxidants like the smog you go out there is, is right. a periodic sure. effect yeah right and to say that there's an antioxidant for every single smog compound that you you encounter is wrong there isn't one antioxidant that works against every single compound so this is it's like a shotgun approach you've got to take a wide variety of it to figure out and hopefully you've covered all your bases right, right? But when we eat, getting food sources of antioxidants, a lot of us will, will take a wide variety. Nobody advocates only take blueberries, for example. Right. It's a wide variety of antioxidants. Anyway, but we stray a little bit from the antioxidants and free radicals a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about some of the things that people use to help with things like the asthma, etc. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of compounds that people have used, and they will help prevent, they will help not eliminate, but it'll help treat some of these asthmatics. Now, I'm not, again, not advocating that everybody give up their puffer and and start using some of these herbs. Right. Okay, because if you do that, that would be rather silly. There's a reason why some of these these puffers work, because if if you have really bad asthma, you cannot get away from some of these things, the puffers. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there are herbs that actually increase the bronchial. So, I mean, something like a cup of coffee, a cup of tea. And these are things that you will encounter. And the reason they work is because caffeine will actually open up your bronchioles. But again, one cup is good, but you can't sit down there and drink 10 cups at a time. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. You can get a caffeine pill, but again, caffeine has other side effects to your heart, etc., the cardiovascular system. So again, you've got to be careful on how much you consume. Right. right. There are things like menthol. Right. right? This is why people will take a, a, a mentholated um, candy, right, because it helps open up the airways, right? So there are herbs like peppermint that will help with that. There are herbs like chrysanthemum that will help open up the airways, right? Mm-hmm. And skullcap. There's a Chinese skullcap, right? It's very different from the, the Western skullcap. Okay, Western skullcap is toxic. The Chinese skullcap is not. Okay. So these are some of the things that I would suggest that people can try. And again, get it in the form of a decoction, meaning that it's one where you've boiled it a long, long time, and the boiling process actually takes the actives out. Got it. What about something like eucalyptus? I've seen like candies and, and like uh, the lozenges that contain eucalyptus. Yeah. Does that work? Euca- eucalyptus falls in as a bronchial dilator. It falls in line with the menthol. Okay. So eucalyptus, definitely. But again, I want to caution people, even menthol, eucalyptus, how much can you consume, right? Mm -hmm. A little bit is good. I don't want anybody to go out there and say, well, Dr. Chang said eucalyptus and menthol is good for asthma. So I should go and find some pure eucalyptus oil and just down it like a teaspoonful at a time. I said, no, don't do that. Right. That is is a recipe for disaster. Okay. It's like anything else. A little bit is good. A lot is definitely not good. Okay, so are there any herbs through TCM that that North Americans may not be aware of that might have some effect that you would recommend? Oh, there's lots. It depends on if people can find it even. I mean, you can find it if you go into the store. There's like monk fruit. Now, everybody knows monk fruit for the sweetener. 
right? But monk fruit has traditionally been used to help with cough and colds, right? Mm-hmm. Things like honeysuckle has also been used, right? There are things like polygala tenufolia. Again, it helps to get rid of phlegm, relieve congestion, and so on, right? Mm-hmm. There's a ton of them. Too much for me to go through on this, you know? Are you using those in your formulations? Like- we use some of these in our formulas, yes. People can certainly use it and try it out to see how it works for them. Because a lot of the um, effects of some of these, like clearing out the, the mucus and so on, that's a symptomatic treatment. Right. But you know what? If you get rid of the symptoms, people feel a lot better. Of course. Right. I mean, you can't, there's no cure for the common cold, right? There you know? is no, well, there is a cure in the sense that the body fights it off eventually, right? It, yeah. it controls the amount of virus floating around. But again, like anything else, you boost the immune system for that. But that's a big category. When you say boost the immune system, what are we really talking about here? Well, for me, uh, like if I can function through a cold, right? Like if I'm not laid up in bed, if I can do, if I can exercise, if I can work, and obviously I'm not infecting other people, I'm wearing a mask, like I'd rather do the things that I need to do and want to do. To my mind, that's a victory, right? Like, Oh, definitely. And and one of the things, I mean, you know, I, I always advocate for vaccines, right? Yeah. So if you're an asthmatic, and you know if you get sick, your asthma is going to get worse. Yeah. By all means, get the bloody flu shot. For sure. You know, it prevent, and people say, oh, we, we, I might still get sick. I say, yes, but if you do get sick, it might be a lot less than if you never got the shot. Exactly. Right? So you won't, it won't be as bad. So anyway, there's pros and cons. I call it risk-benefit analysis. Exactly. Well, I think we'll end up here. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Jamie. Have a wonderful holidays and a happy new year. And you too. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. If you have type 2 diabetes, it might be time for a heart-to-heart with your own heart. There's no sugarcoating it. Type 2 diabetes affects more than just your blood sugar levels. It can impact other parts of your body, including your heart. If you have diabetes and a history of heart disease, there are medications along with diet and exercise that can lower your risk from dying from problems relating to your heart and blood vessels. Talk to your doctor today and visit myheartmatters.ca to learn more. Brought to you by two of Canada's leading pharmaceutical research-based companies. Are you stressed out, feeling down, having trouble sleeping? New Roots Herbal offers natural supplements to help take the edge off, relax, enhance your mood, and sleep better. Discover De-Stress, Merry Mind Omega, and Sleep 8. Natural ingredients and guaranteed purity for a better day and a restful night. Find these and other New Roots Herbal products exclusively at quality health food stores. And for more information, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. David Nelson is a fellow at Envivo Planetary Health, a part of the Nova Institute for Health of People, Places, and Planet, located in Baltimore, Maryland. David attended the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine. He is a health, food, retail, and wellness services business owner, and he's written numerous academic articles. His latest establishes the importance of the acid-alkaline balance of the foods we eat, and he lives in Woodstock with his family, and another and, he's a regular on the show. Welcome back, David. How are you? Good, Jamie. Good, good, good. It's good to be back on the show. So uh, you're our new science guy or obscure science guy, whichever way you... I'll let you decide 
which you want to be. I can... I'm a curiosity kills the cat type of thing guy. I just, I'm very curious. I love learning. And, you know, I like understanding the world around me. And I think that's the biggest thing about me is that when I come across something, it's like, well, how does this work? What, what is yeah. the deal here? And I, I like to look at it. It's fun. So we landed on the topic of red light therapy, which uh, I'm I'm happy to say one of the things that this know-it-all didn't know much about. And it was actually a lot more science grounded than I thought it was, which is always good to know. So let's start at the beginning. What is red light therapy? Mm. So let's ask one question. What is red light? Okay. So light exists in a spectrum of wavelengths. And it, there's a range. It's about, you know, for 360, 380 nanometers to about 850 nanometers or whatever. So it gets you, you know, different spectrums of light. Mm-hmm. In the infrared band, you're around 630 nanometers to 850 nanometers. Very specific. So that's what red light therapy is. It's light in a very specific wavelength band that has a reproducible and measurable outcome. That's what red light therapy is. Okay. So how did this therapy come about? How did we fall into learning and and using red light therapy? Yeah. So the first, I mean, light therapy wasn't really used until we had electricity and lights and all that other stuff, right? So that's an important point to note. So turn of the century, right around 1900s, actually in 1896, there was a gentleman who was trying to treat a type of tuberculosis called lupus vulgaris. And he was using an electric light that was concentrated about 15 times, and he put it on the surface of the skin, and patients got benefit. He was later awarded the Nobel Prize in Physiology for those light treatments. So that was the beginning of using light to treat something. You know, so moving forward, mm-hmm. you have the, you know, we found lasers, and then we had LED light therapy that started about in the 1960s. Although LED lights didn't really take off until, you know, more in the mid-90s. And now we have red light therapy as a result of that. So red light therapy is a natural extension of LED light therapy. It's intense and you can precisely control the wavelength. Okay. So how does it work then? What, like, why would we take red light therapy and what does it do? Yeah. So what you're talking about is something called photobiomodulation. So photobiomodulation, I want to write that, or I want to break that down, and then Mm -hmm. we'll talk about how it works. Photo, that's the light part. Bio, that's the life part and the modulation. So light modifying life, Hmm. okay, the bio piece. So how does it work? Cells have a response to concentrated light, okay? So Mm -hmm. for your listeners, there's no difference between what we're talking about and sunlight and getting burned. So light can do things to our skin. You know when you're uh, indoors all winter and then you go out and, you know, maybe April, May, or June, depending upon when we get out, and you get your first little bit of sun and how good you feel and everyone looks like they're glowing? Yeah. It's not just because the colors change. It's actually because there's things happening. So with red light therapy, what you get is that that light enhances a bunch of functions in the cell as well as some of the lattices that hold cells together and connect tissues. And some of those things might be like collagen, or they can enhance uh, mitochondrial ATP production, cellular signaling, growth factor synthesis, stuff like that. But the big one is that it it tends to help attenuate oxidative stress as well. Hmm. 
Like so, it deals like with free radicals and such. Yeah, free radicals and such. So what happens is that you know we're living, breathing, you know, humans that are generating a lot of reactions in our body, and those reactions have quote unquote exhaust. It's not unlike your car, right? And that exhaust is free radicals. So someone, somewhere, somehow, those things have to be broken down, cleaned up, removed, however you want to look at it. And what low light therapy does is actually it uses light to make cellular systems run better. And that's the idea behind low light level therapy. The other thing that can happen is that you have collagen fibers in your skin and stuff too. So it's not just it's not just about medicine. There is some cosmetic applications to red light therapy as well. Uh, very specific wavelengths of light can help in tighten skin. And that, that's true. We see that also in the literature as well. Okay, so does red light therapy actually work or is it hocus pocus? Yeah. No, no, no. Red light therapy definitely works. There are many clinical trials that have been published on it. We use this for a number of different things. So, you know, skin rejuvenation, wound healing, body contouring are some of them. You can buy red light therapy stands that you can sit in front of. Now, some of these tend to be very expensive. They can run, you know, 500 to $5,000. One of uh, a good friend of mine is a linesman in the NHL, mm-hmm. and he actually uses red light therapy to reacclimate himself from doing uh, time change travel, as well as to give himself a little boost if he's had a particularly long stretch on the road. And he definitely says, yes, this does make me feel better. And he's not someone that's normally like, he's not susceptible to being like, you know. Yeah, I hear you. So I guess part of the issue is if you're going to buy, like you can go to spas and there's some very credible, you know, clinics and spas that have the red light therapy. But you, as you mm-hmm. mentioned, you can also get it at home. And I guess yeah. if you're going to, if you're going to buy a product like that, I guess the question is, is it safe? Like, are there any risks if you're just going to go out and buy one of these and use it, right? So the good thing about it, it's a good question. The good thing about it is that this has been in the marketplace and in science long enough that we do actually understand the dosing parameters as well as the intensity of the light that causes the beneficial effect of it. And the machines actually don't move into the domain where it can actually be, can have a negative effect on you. Because listen, too much of a good thing can be a bad thing. Right. Water's great until you drink too much. The sun is great until you lay out too much. And the same goes with red light therapy. You have to use it safely and effectively. But is it safe? It's definitely safe. There's, there's no question about that. And it really helps some people with things like I just want to I just want to say that yeah. if one of your list, if your listeners are, are struggling with things like, you know, psoriasis and rosacea and stuff like that, this can also be beneficial for skin rejuvenation. It really does make a difference. It's the same as going out in the sun, too. Right. Sun is full spectrum. This is just a band of the sun spectrum. Right. In the limited reading that I did, one of the issues that was raised is, you know, some of the products that you can get, you know, there's a huge sort of price band. Like, as you mentioned, you know, it can be three, five hundred dollars for a device or it could be up to five thousand. And what I read was you kind of get what you pay for so that if you get a cheaper product, it's not going to be as uh, effective as a more expensive product. Like this is one of those things where it really does matter if you're going to go whole hog. You want to get a good red light device as opposed to an inexpensive red light device. Yeah, that's true. And that has a lot to do with the software, the, yeah. the technology that's behind it. 
It has a lot to do with things like, you know, and some of these machines actually they have modulators in them or they have variability settings. So you can actually change the frequencies, the LEDs and and the intensity of the light. That's the other thing that's really important is that the density of LEDs plays a really big role in how well these things work and the quality of those LEDs. And of course, the materials required to make those things are going to cost more. So, yes. There is a difference, but at the end of the day, if someone really needs to get this going right away, you can buy a lower-cost version and see how well it works for you, and you should get some clinical benefit from that, even if you're not buying the best one on the market. I hear you. I would go a different route. I would say Mm. go to a spa or a clinic that has it. And that's a, you're right. And you know, see if it works for you before you invest in it. And obviously, if it does, mm-hmm. we're not we're not saying don't invest. You know, just do it with your eyes open. That you know, like a cheaper Absolutely. device just may not be as good as the device that you would get if you went to like a clinic who's paid for like a professional uh, quality device, like yeah, anything. Well, right. So I'll I'll just throw a couple prices around. I'm not going to sure. name any brands, but I'll throw some prices around. Yeah. So you're looking at a minimum. 3500 for a smaller lie-down one. Yep. And you're looking upwards of five, six, seven thousand dollars $7,000 for full-body uh, wall-mounted one. Yeah, that kind of cost. Like, I'm not spending, I'm not dropping that kind of coin on any device mm-hmm. unless I, you know, I've tried it and it works for me, right? Yeah, right. And then the smaller home versions, you know, yeah. you can get those for sub-1,000, but remember the red light therapy that you're getting for that then is, is it's a smaller surface area. So maybe it's the top of your chest, your face, your upper shoulders and your hands, as opposed to, you know, from head to toe. Right. We have time for one last quick question, and that is, is there any current exciting research with this particular therapy that you want to relate? Yeah, I think the interesting thing for me, I have a lot of people that suffer with skin conditions. Yep. And it does appear over time that this actually helps to modify the skin's microbiome as well. Oh, fantastic. So in people with rosacea, eczema and psoriasis, they have very specific skin microbiome motifs and red light therapy, and this also comes from full sunlight exposure therapy clinical research as well, is that there is a modulatory shift that helps dysbiotic microbiome skin colonies reorganize themselves and get better, if I can put it that way. That's a very simple way to say it through exposure to different types of light therapy. And low-level light therapy and red light therapy are two that they definitely help with that. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. You're welcome, Jamie. I hope you have a great day. You as well. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. Tired of lineups at your pharmacist? Why not try PharmaZ at the Zoomer store? Powered by the Health Depot, an Ontario-accredited pharmacy, PharmaZ offers a concierge approach to filling, refilling, and managing your prescriptions with free delivery anywhere in Ontario. To get started, visit zoomerstore.com and click on PharmaZ. And then click on the Circle of Care Pharmacy program for your free initial consultation with a clinical pharmacist. Don't wait. Go today. Welcome back to The Tonic. Your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. V Mystery is a certified skin therapist and founder of Skin by V, a private facial studio in Toronto that specializes in awakening the skin through personalized and science-backed treatments. Skin by V also sells a selection of curated luxury skincare products, both online and in-store. 
With more than 25 years of experience in the beauty industry, V has worked on thousands of faces and has developed a highly tailored approach to the art of facials. Welcome back to the show, V. How are you? I'm good, Jamie. How are you doing? Good. Last time you were on the show, you promised, you promised that, <laughs> that we were going to talk about men's skincare, right? Absolutely. We'll give you a little platform here. <laughs> yeah. So I'm one of those guys who's bald on top, so I, I keep a constant state of stubble so that yeah. there's there's hair above the neck. <laughs> I love it. Okay, no okay. problem. Okay, so but obviously that leads to skincare issues. So so let's talk about shaving and skincare today, okay? Okay, let's go. Okay, so is shaving bad for men's skin? So no, it's not. It's actually one of the bigger reasons why if typically if you look at majority of the men out there, they don't really have to do a lot and their skin always just looks so great. A lot of my clients will say this, you know, my husband literally does nothing and his skin is just so perfect. The shaving, if you think about it, it's taking a blade and it's exfoliating that top layer of the skin, which also then removes the hair. So that constant regular exfoliating helps encourage those new, healthy, happy skin cells to come forward and slough away all the dead skin cells on the surface of the skin. So it's actually not bad for men to shave. I think there's just a few key things that we have to think about is, you know, how are you shaving? What are you shaving with? And that could be the differentiator here. Okay. So let's start with implements. What sort of shaving implements would you recommend for somebody? Yeah, I think just a really good razor is good, making sure that the blade is really nice and sharp. I think that's excellent. For somebody who has extremely sensitive skin, when I say that, if you're noticing a lot of um, redness, a lot of flushing, I find those clients tend to do really well with those electrical razors because then you're not creating too much of that aggression um, with the physical exfoliation. So depending on your skin, typically I would say making sure that the blade is really nice and um, sharp, that would be a good razor. And if you're sensitive, you want to go more with the electrical. Okay, when you say a sharp blade, are you talking like a cuckoo blade, like a straight edge? Yeah, if you can do that really well, you can do that, or you can just get your typical good Gillette uh, (laughs) and, and go to town with that. But just making sure that you're regularly changing it depending on how often you are shaving, just so that the blades are not blunt. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about products for a second. So... Are you about the foam? Are you about the gel? Are you about like having the little brush that whips up the lather? Like, what do you like? So I think if you do have that brush, it's really nice. And in terms of the agent that you would use, you asked whether it be a foam or a gel. I find like if someone's a really oily skin, they tend to produce a lot of sebum, a lot of oil. They tend to gravitate more towards that gel. They feel like it gives you this beautiful, nice, clean finish. Whereas if you're a little bit more drier, a little bit more sensitive, then the foam is less drying on the skin as well. So those are the two different skin types and you can choose either. But again, with the foam, you can easily use that brush because it helps nicely distribute the product. With the gel, it might be just a tad bit harder. So you just want to use your fingers and your hands to help get an even distribution before you start going into shave. Are there any particular products that you recommend in this regard? Are there brands that you like? 
Yeah, so um, on my website, I do retail LMS, which is um, a brand from the UK. They have a really great foaming product, which again, is literally a mousse. It's really lovely, very light on the skin, um, goes on really well. It has a little bit of menthol in it. So it's really nice from a sensory perspective, very calming and soothing as well for those sensitive skin types. It really does keep everything nice and um, calm on the skin. Okay, so there's a great divide in the universe, and that is those who believe you should shave with a hot blade or a cold blade. I mean, running yeah. it underwater, etc. What are your thoughts on that? You know, Jamie, if we've spoken so many times in the past, and I think I've always gone towards cryo, keeping everything cold on the skin because it does have a beautiful calming effect. This time, I'm going to kind of switch it on us, and I'm actually going to say the hot water is better. It's going to be softer on the skin, I find. Again, it's going to, it's not opening the pores, but it definitely does help feel like the hair's a little bit more softer. Um, so I would say a hot blade. That's interesting, because I read this article, I can't remember how long ago, where the theory was that cold was better. Because it, it didn't agitate the skin. And so I, I don't know, but I hear you. You're the expert, not me. Yeah, I think I agree. I mean, cryo, again, has always been really calming and soothing on the skin. Yep. But I just find with hot, it really does help almost feel like your bristles are that much more softer. Yeah. Can I call them bristles? Yeah, sure. <laughs> bristles, gristles, whatever we want to call <laughs> Little hairs. So, okay, so another school of thought is aftershave versus no aftershave. And I would throw... No aftershave. Uh, no aftershave? Yeah, I'm going to go right in there and say no, uh, because that aftershave has some level of alcohol in it. Yeah. You've just exfoliated that skin. Putting alcohol on skin is a definite no-no. So there was this product that existed that I used religiously, and then they discontinued it. It was Neutrogena post-shave skin balm. And it was oh. an amazing product. And it was so good that I actually had to corner the market on Amazon <laughs> after they discontinued it. And I'm down to my last bottle. And they, oh, and, no. they, and they stopped making this maybe eight years ago. And I, I, don't, even know if, I don't even know if it's like a valid product anymore. Yeah. So, so help me out. If there's no aftershave, surely there are some post-shave products that you would recommend. Yeah, I would definitely say if you are my gentleman where you have, you know, your serums and your moisturizer and your SPF and everything else, I would say always go with your serums. Your serums are the smallest molecular structure. It's going to penetrate nice and deep, especially after that beautiful exfoliation of shaving. You want to get everything in there. It's going to really help heal and repair the skin. The only one thing you want to be aware of is if there's any type of acid, so a vitamin C or anything like that, that's a no-no. It's just the lysorbic acid is going to be too much, too quick for the skin um, after a shave. But if you're just a quick, like, bang-bang sort of a guy, want to be out the door, um, I would say finish off with a really good moisturizer and an SPF afterwards. Jamie, you spoke about the balm. Yeah. And so to our point, that balm, even not knowing the ingredients, I'm sure it's going to be that much more calming and soothing and almost creating this beautiful envelope on the top of the skin. And that's why your skin probably enjoyed it so much. So choose, you know, a really good um, moisturizer, 
just to kind of create that envelope, lock everything in, make sure it keeps out all the bad stuff, and always finish with an SPF. Okay. One problem I do have, I actually have pretty good skin, and this is when I was growing out my beard a little bit longer, not so stubbly. I would get ingrown hairs. Mm-hmm. Would you have any advice for men who suffer from ingrown hairs, what they can do? Yeah, exfoliation. So with that beard or even a little stubble, it's hard to go in with, like, say, for instance, a granular exfoliator. Yeah. You're probably going to find it get caught in the, in the head. So you want to lean on chemical exfoliators. Um, chemical exfoliators can be um, a glycolic, which is a sugary-based acid. Again, it's a, it's a larger, it was a medium-weight molecule, so it's going to be a little bit more on the surface. That's going to really help exfoliate that buildup of the skin that's trapping the hair uh, underneath the skin, creating that uh, ingrowing hair. Uh, Lactic acid is really good because, again, that one is a larger molecular structure, exfoliate the top of the skin, but it's also got very great hydrating properties. So you might find you have been struggling from ingrowing hairs because the skin itself is a little bit more drier in creating that top layer of buildup. So that's going to really help. The other one, um, and my husband actually really likes this, which is um, actual um, exfoliating pads. So again, I'm going to talk about Elemis. They have a really great exfoliating pad, which has enzymes in it. And it almost looks like a little cotton round. You basically take it out after you've cleansed your skin. Just go in, wipe all over, paying special attention to the areas where you have those ingrowing hairs. And it will almost encourage that sloughing of those dead skin cells and it will probably pop out the hair. What you don't want to do, which is what a lot of people do, is try and squeeze that hair out. Because more than likely, there is that buildup of skin over the top, and you squeezing and squeezing and squeezing is probably just going to create more trauma. What about tweezing the hair out once you get it open? Is that a no-no too? Yeah, no. If you can get it open, if you find like it's almost there and there's a little, you know, opening and you can see a little bit of the hair, make sure your tweezer is really close to the surface of the skin and then pull right at the root so the whole hair comes out. Most of the time you're going to find that hair will be almost like in a little coil underneath in the follicle so the reason why i say pull really like in that one swipe you want to make sure the whole hair comes out you're not breaking the hair at the surface because that's just going to encourage that coil to stay underneath fantastic advice thank you so much for coming on the show today you're so welcome thank you for having me jamie that was v mystery we have to take a short break but we'll be right back on the tonic The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Dr. Stacey Irvine is the co-founder of Totem Life Science. The philosophy and identity of Totem have been greatly influenced by Stacy's love of athletics and her passionate belief that everyone will benefit from a healthy, active lifestyle in their own unique way. 
Through her work as a chiropractor and strength and conditioning specialist, Dr. Irvine's clientele ranges from beginners just starting out on an exercise program to elite and professional athletes looking for advanced rehabilitation and training program strategies. She's also a frequent guest on this show. Welcome back, my friend. How are you? I am great. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. So it's apropos, and we haven't discussed it, this show at all, but we're going to roll out the R word for the first time. <laughs> oh, no. Yep. So, so how do you feel about resolutions? What are your thoughts on them? Oh, okay. It's, it's kind of a loaded question. I love the idea that people are spending some time. Usually resolutions have to do with our health and making ourselves a bit better. I love that that thought process is there. My sadness about resolutions is that they're generally very unsuccessful. Yeah, I think the problem is that people build them up in their heads, right? It becomes, it's not the journey, it's about the goal. Yeah. And then the psychology of not meeting your goal or, you know, nothing's linear, right? Like Exactly. And, you know, lots of people, I think, do it just because it's the thing to do. And I think that's where some of the success falls apart. And I also think the huge piece is the lack of accountability. Yeah. And like you, you know this because you have gyms, right? So what happens is everybody signs up and January is like hectic time at any gym with all the newbies and they don't know what's going on <laughs> yes. and they don't, they don't clean their sweat and they do this and they do that and they tick off all the regulars. And then by February, a lot of them are gone. Yes. And, and I've witnessed this over the years. Of course. Because, you know, they don't get those results. And it's amazing, right? Like if somebody, for example, if you're trying to lose weight, so it did not take you a month to put on whatever it is you're trying to take <laughs> off, unless it's like a pound or two. Like it probably, you were probably putting on that weight for a year, two years, COVID, you got the COVID 15 or 20. Yes. So why you would think that it's automatically going to come off in a month is beyond me, but... I think that's the way a lot of people operate. I think you're right. And I think that's so exciting as to us talking about this today. And the problem that I have with it and the problem I have ultimately with the word is that when they quit after the month, they feel badly about themselves and they right. feel like it's their fault. And so I think what is an interesting concept is kind of what we're talking about a bit today is how do we actually get it to work? Yeah. And I'm going to give you an analogy. So let's pretend that you got a business, you're a car salesman. Yep. Okay. So you're interviewing two new people for the job of head salesperson of your car dealership. So let's say Bob comes to you and he says, my goal is to sell 300 cars for you this year. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I'm going to check in with you next year. And we're going to hope that I sold 300 cars. Right. Okay. Yeah. Let's say that Mary comes to you and says, you know, hey, Jamie, I've got a goal. I'm going to sell 300 cars for you. I'm going to check in with you every two weeks. We're going to look and see how my projected sales are going. Here's my plan. I'm going to go out and I'm going to market to these people and these groups. And we're going to make sure that you're holding me accountable to what I've just set out to you as my goal. Right. So, of course, all of us would hire... Uh, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I do sales. I know. Yeah, she, yeah so you know. Yeah, you know. Okay. Yeah. So then the problem with lots of us setting our resolutions is we do it like the first way. We just say a blanket statement, yep. but we don't have a plan. 
and we have no one to hold us accountable to the plan. And then we wonder why that plan doesn't fail or why it does fail. Right. Yeah. And, you know, so I, I think that that can be the big problem with resolutions is that if you took the time to do it in a structured way and if you met with someone and you said, OK, you're going to hold me accountable to these are my goals. It's always a great idea to have goals to be healthier or to improve your life. You know, that's the whole idea behind a resolution. But if you don't do the homework and then the accountability check, that's going to be a problem because human beings always go to being the most efficient possible, right? So whatever is the pressing thing that we have to do, that's where we spend our energy. So if you make one statement, you know, December 31st, January 1st, you make one global statement, but no one is checking in on you. You have no way to be accountable. The chance of it failing is generally nine times out of 10. Okay, so you're talking about process, which I actually think is extremely important, probably crucial. I think another element is ideation. So if you said, I'm going to lose 30 pounds or I'm going to lose 40 pounds. Okay, why? Why 30 pounds? Why 40 pounds? What is it? Have you actually picked a health and wellness goal that means anything and or is achievable? Because all the process in the world is meaningless if you end up picking a goal that you are doomed for failure. When I lost my weight, my dirty little secret is I can't stand resolutions, but when I lost the weight, it actually was a resolution. Wow. Um, and, and so I'm a bit of a hip, I'm a bit of a hypocrite, I love but, that. but I will say I didn't set out to lose 52 pounds. It happened over right. a year, right? right? Which is amazing. Yes. But I didn't say I'm going to lose 50 pounds. Right. I just kind of said, Hey, I'm snoring. I don't like the way I look. My clothes don't fit. You know, here are all the things that I want to fix. So I'm going to fix myself. And then the focus as to what the ultimate goal became, it became a moving target. You know, after I I lose 10 or 15, then I said, okay, I could probably lose another five or I could lose another 10 or, hey, you know what? I've lost 30. What would I look like if I lost another 10? Right. And and then and then ultimately, you know, you may even have to shift your process. So, for example, I lost the first 42 on my own. But I needed help with the last 10 because exactly. I, like I ran out of ideas of what I could do. I, I actually hired a trainer to help me with the last 10. Right. And that put me over the hump. So I think it isn't just the process. It's are you picking a realistic goal that even if you had the best process, you can achieve? It's such an important piece of this. Human beings can accomplish amazing things. We can deal with all types of adversity, but this ideation is critical. And it also kind of comes down to what's your inspiration and what's motivating you. Right. And that is a really key piece that you could set a goal, but if there's nothing motivating you or nothing inspiring you, and it has to happen regularly, it can't happen once. So in your case, it was wonderful because you were seeing success and that was kind of snowballing into getting you more success because you liked what those results were getting you. That motivated you. So when you set the goal, you have to really also find that piece. Three things. What is holding you accountable? What is motivating you? And what is your ultimate inspiration? Right. And then a professional will help you say, yes, that's realistic or no, it's not. And and that can usually that's your accountability piece. But that person is very important because we also don't want people to run out, like you said, these, you know, first gym membership and injure themselves. Like there's nothing worse than that happening. That's going to make you feel, you know, extra dejected. Like yeah. I tried and I couldn't do yeah. this and now I'm injured. So you need those pieces together. So it requires more thought than just making one, you know, global statement on new 
New Year's Day. You really need to do some homework. Yeah. And you need to think about, okay, so leaving aside checking in, how are you going to achieve the goal? If you're a person who doesn't enjoy going to the gym, what is the point of getting a gym membership? Because ultimately it's going to become painful to you. You're not going to want to do it. Yes. That's a bad example. And I don't mean to no, yeah, no, do you I, on the gym. So do, I no. totally get it. I say that to lots of people too. I, I will have people coming into my office saying, you know, I can't stand gyms. I can't stand doing these types of workouts. I find it incredibly boring. I say, I, I get that a hundred percent. So what's the alternative? Right. Are you going to join a hockey league? Is there, you know, pick up basketball? Are you going to join your friends and go on hikes regularly? Are you going to get a dog and walk your dog get every day? Get a dog day? and walk your dog. There are yeah. so many options. And sometimes that's where talking to a health professional should be able to help you. And and you want to find someone that's not just trying to sell you something because they'll try to sell you a gym membership. Right. Right. So you want to find someone who genuinely cares about you, but has the professional knowledge to say, this is what will work for you based on what your goals are and based on, you know, what you've stated to me is your resolution. Let's come up with a long-term plan to make this happen and make it last. That's the whole goal. Okay. So we don't have much time because this time just flew by. I would say the other thing is to understand is it is not a linear process. So particularly with weight loss or becoming fitter or improving your running times, you're not going to see incremental results all the time. It's going to be fits and starts. Somebody's going to have a birthday. You're going to eat birthday cake. You know, over the holidays, there's more drinking and eating and that's going to throw you off. And Valentine's chocolates is going to throw you off if you're trying to lose weight. So just appreciate that it's the process and that really you should be living it. And doing what you can maintain over the long run. And I think you'll achieve your goal. And that's what I hope for everybody. I hope so too. Setbacks are a part of the process. And all you need to do is think, what do I learn from that setback? And then just try to do your best to keep moving forward. But it is not a linear path. It is up and down always. And that's perfectly normal. Yeah. I think the other thing is... Surround yourself with people who are going to support you. And it isn't as specific as I have a workout buddy because you don't want to be reliant on that buddy. You don't want to use that as an excuse not to follow through, whether it's somebody who's keeping you accountable for your food intake or, or actually doing the activity. At the end of the day, it's got to come from within you. But I think having bad influences, hey, let's go out for drinks. <laughs> Would you like an extra piece of cake? Like all those yes. people that are facilitating your bad habits. The sabotagers. You, the underminers. <laughs> the underminers. You, you might want to consider how you want to have your continuing relationship with them and, and whether they're going to help you with your goal as well. Exactly. That speaks to that piece about motivation and inspiration. Yeah. So if you look for the people that motivate you, that inspire you, you could say, you know, I want to structure my life more like that person. Surround yourself with those people and you will find the process and the journey to be a happier one. Fantastic. Next time you're on the show, what do you want to talk about? Let's talk about some of these trends and, you know, new things happening in the industry, things that are, you know, helping us and maybe not helping us sometimes. Fantastic. For more information about Stacy, visit totem.ca. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Dr. Gordon Chang, Dr. David Nelson, N.D., The Mystery, and Dr. Stacey Irvine, D.C. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. 
To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at It's The Tonic on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. For great articles by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of The Tonic magazine. The November-December issue is still available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or... You can visit our new website, thetonic.ca. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie at thetonic.ca. On our next show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.